Hello, howdy. This is Spur of the Moment from Lasso Digital. I'm Annika Pelkey. On today's Spur of the Moment episode, I had a great discussion with UI designer Will Moyer. With over 15 years of web design experience, Will has seen a lot of changes in the UI space, both good and bad. We chatted about these shifts in his field, as well as what nonprofits can do to ensure their website is designed ethically with user experience in mind. My name is Will Moyer. My pronouns are he, him, and I am a product and UI designer. My, I think, I think I've probably been doing design at this point for almost 20 years, 15 and something. And I started in in high school and college with doing like side jobs, you know, someone needs like a landing page or a blog or something. I had regular jobs also. And then my boss or whoever would figure out that like I had Photoshop knowledge. So then I would end up designing, doing graphic design for them, designing posters or flyers and stuff like that. So it's it's been a long time <laughs> of doing it. And then after college, I moved to China and I lived there for two and a half years and I started teaching English while I was there. But on the side, I kept getting, I would meet expats and make friends with English speaking, you know, Chinese people there. And they would figure out that I had some kind of design skill or could, could make a website or knew how to use WordPress. So then they would ask me and I started doing that more and more. And I was making more money from doing that than English teaching. I got a few like kind of notable clients, like a fashion blogger in China at the time <laughs> had me redesign his site. And then Teach for China, the Chinese branch of Teach for America, basically, they needed a new landing page and like member center or something. And so that was like one of my big breaks of having like a real client. Yeah. And then then after that, I kind of just kept getting bigger and better clients. And I had a tech startup with one of my friends that I met traveling. And we got into an accelerator program called Startup Chile, where you moved to Santiago, Chile for a year and spend time working on your business and marketing in, you get mentorship and all this stuff. And you also get a little bit of investment money. So I did that and I met my current business partner because he also had a startup that was in Startup Chile. And after we got done with that, our startups ran out of money, of course. And uh, we kind of went back to freelancing. And at a certain point we were like, we should just have our own agency uh, and stop kind of just being independent contractors and have a brand and have a have a name and so we started our our agency zoe and it's been four or five years i think of that and it's been great we've done work for i think between the two of us canon and nike wells fargo google and a lot of a lot of startups some of that was what we did independently before starting zoe but a lot of it has been since forming our our company which is cool Cool. So UI design is really important for nonprofits as donor pages are like a major driver of revenue. So we've seen time and time again that nonprofits don't invest in pages and like have this weird myth that investing in overhead and investing in them in themselves is kind of bad for an organization. Would you mind speaking a little bit to the importance of good design and how that can really like help build an organization? I think good design uh, is basically design that serves human users' needs. So whether you're producing, you know, a tool or a product or service or any kind of communication platform, if landing page or brochures or donor pages, I think 
design that is serving the interests of the user or the potential donor or potential customer, uh, I think that resonates a lot with people. And I think when you can tell that the people behind this design, this communication cared and they care about your experience of it or they care about making it easy to read or obvious and easy to understand, I think that really can help build confidence in you as an organization and make you feel loyal to them or make you respect them, make you want to donate money to them because it feels like there are actual people behind the scenes who care about those things. That makes sense. Yeah. I tend to do a lot of the like little design projects here at Lasso. So I'd love to hear you kind of talk about your design process and maybe walk me through it a little bit. For sure. I think Every, every designer's process is a little bit different and every client is a little bit different. So it never quite plays out in the specifics the same way. But in general, I think there's like four or five stages you go through. And the first one would be like research and discovery. And this can mean different things, you know, depending on the client, depending on how much expertise you have in their industry or with their product or whatever. But uh, the research and discovery phase is where you're basically like learning about the client, learning about the sector they're in, who their users are, who their customers are, what their goals are, what their values are as a company or as a nonprofit. When I'm doing UI design, a lot of that is learning how their users work. So if you're you know if you designing a, I don't know, a PDF app or something, right? You want to understand the workflow of the people who are going to use that. What, what are they trying to accomplish? What are the steps they take to do their job? And how does your app kind of fit it, fit in that process? You also do maybe competitor research during this phase, or you find similar companies or nonprofits that are in the same sector, and how do they handle these things? You know, if I was doing donor pages for an animal nonprofit, I would look at other nonprofits doing similar things and look at how they craft their donor pages. So you kind of start to understand the space you're working in. Then the next step is usually like feature definition or user stories where you try to start figuring out like, what is this actually doing? What is this thing we're making going to actually do? What are the users who interact with it? What are they trying to accomplish? What are we trying to communicate with them? And a lot of times you break that down into user stories. So as a, as a user, I want to be able to send payments in the payment app. <laughs> so it seems a little basic, but you listing those things out really starts to help help you define what the actual product is. And then the next stage is you you do some prototyping and wireframing. And a lot of that is figuring out user flows and the hierarchy of information. So when a user comes to this page, what what are they going to see first? What is the most important thing for them to see? What's the next most important thing? If they're going to go through some kind of donation flow, what are the steps in that flow that the user is going to have to take? How, do, how are those steps presented to the user? So figuring, figuring that out is kind of like the bones of the design. You're not picking colors at that point or textures or typography. You're kind of figuring out like the real basics of what is the most important information? What are the steps the user goes through? How do we present that to them? And then after that, if branding is part of the design process, then you would start to figure out some of those other things I mentioned, like colors and typography, what's the voice of the text going to be. And essentially, once you have, the, sometimes those are pre-established, you know, the client already has all of that branding work done. Sometimes you have to go through that branding process with them. And then at that point, you can basically apply the branding to the 
wireframes you've already created, that skeleton that is based on user flows and the hierarchy of information. Now you go back and you do add the brand colors and you you add their fonts and uh, you stylize it a bit so it fits their vibe. You know, you add in the actual copy and you make sure it fits within the design. Then, you know, there's rounds of quality assurance and user feedback depending on what the final state of the design is. You know, if it's a if it's a brochure and a designer has made it and it gets sent to the printer, you know, you want to make sure it printed correctly. If it's a, a website and it gets sent to developers, you want to make sure it gets implemented correctly. And then depending on the client, then you have cycles of of user feedback after that, where you you try to figure out how how users are interacting with the, with that design. Are they you know frustrated by aspects of it? Are they coming away with the right takeaways? And then you kind of go back through that process again and again to refine and keep working on the design. Nice. Cool. Would you mind sharing a couple of projects that you've worked on where like you've really seen the final product be way better than you expected or some projects that you're really excited about that you've worked on? Yeah, sure. One of our clients is a nutrition counseling company. And they provide like one-on-one online nutrition counseling. And during 2020, they kind of blew up for obvious reasons that there was a lot more uh, desire to have those kind of interactions online. So we designed an app for them. They were using a white-labeled app that they had kind of licensed from a different company that was just kind of for consultation or counseling in general, wasn't specifically designed for them. And we redesigned the whole thing and we talked to the nutritionists and we did cycles of feedback with them and we did cycles of feedback with their actual users, getting them to tell us you know, what was frustrating about their the existing white-labeled app, what were the kind of things they would like to see in a, in a custom app. I think the end result of that was really, really good. It was super successful. All their, all their clients love it. Their nutritionists love it. We built them a, a custom dashboard for their side of the app. So, you know, they, they go to the, this website basically, and they get to see all of this nutrition counseling information that the client is logging, food logging, exercise logging, and they get all kinds of charts and graphs and insights. And the users got this really customized, tailored experience for the exact nutrition counseling program that they're involved in. So it was really successful. And that company saw their bounce rate or whatever you want, their drop-off rate of people canceling the nutrition counseling service, they saw that go way down, right? Way more clients sticking around for longer, even past the point where their their goals had been met by the nutritionist just because they enjoyed using the app and staying in the app and using it to log food or to occasionally chat with their nutritionist. So I think that was a really successful recent project that it, it felt like it pulled in all of the the different aspects of what makes a good good design. Wow. Yeah. It seems like you have worked in like a lot of different sectors doing this. And obviously you mentioned like you've been doing this for 15 or 20 years. So you've been, you've seen a lot. (laughs) I would love to hear if there are any like glaring differences that come to mind when you look back at when you started versus today. Yeah. I think, I think things have changed a lot from when I got started, there is way more of a widespread understanding, I think, of design and of the role of design and just the language and the concepts that go with it. You know, there wasn't even like UX was not a field <laughs> uh, when I started, you know, in like 2010 or something, you know, 2008, even earlier. It was, you know, it was called UI, UI design and usability. 
And I think phones were a big part of that, especially the the degree of interaction in phone interfaces is like way higher. You have way more people using them, interacting way more than something like a like a brochure or something that you might design and print before that. Not to diminish print or physical design anyway, but I think the UIs on on mobile devices was like so many touch points of user interaction. And so, yeah, when I was starting out, there was a lot of like trying to convince clients that design was important, that like it was a factor, you know, that credence should be given to user experience and design should be part of a company culture or a nonprofit culture. You don't really have to convince, I think, clients of that anymore. I think it's much more widespread. And I think a lot of clients understand that design is important and that they need designers at some level helping them craft kind of even the most basic communications, I think, with users. So that that's one thing that's really refreshing. It was hard when you were starting and you kind of had to justify your own discipline and convince stakeholders that like certain concepts mattered. Certain design concepts like were really, really important. And I think uh, there's much more, much more acceptance of that now. And you don't have to kind of explain, you know, all of those things to clients or try to convince them. And uh, I think what people are way more versed in just like design lingo and the language around design. And that makes communication a lot easier. You have to do less kind of like educating, which a lot of designers don't want to do. They just, you know, they want to do the work. They don't want to be like trying to convince a client that typography matters or something. Makes sense. Yeah, it seems like even like in our work at Lasso, like design is kind of one of the top things we focus on whenever we are creating anything, whether it's print or a website. And people kind of just assume that now, but I can totally see how that has changed even in the time I've like been in the working yeah, sector. <laughs> so are there any things that you think have gotten kind of worse as time has gone on. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, this I, I could talk a lot about this, but I think there are there are a lot of ways design has gotten worse despite it having more of a, a presence, I think. I think a, a lot of kind of casual users of different apps notice these things too. You know, people always complain about like the HBO Max streaming app or or Amazon or something right? like these huge companies that have all these resources and like why is your UI so annoying to use? Why is it so frustrating to use? Or advertisements and advertising landing pages feeling not as useful to the user versus trying to get something out of the user. And I, I think that's happened more and more essentially is like design has been subjected more to marketing and sales and profit making incentives than it used to. Like it's a kind of like the the other side of it getting more recognition, I think, is it also being used maybe for other purposes that it wouldn't have been thought of to use design tactics for before. And I think the the basic underlying thing is that a lot I think a lot of design is more directed towards serving someone else's interests other than the end user. And I don't think those things always have to be in opposition, but they definitely can be. Data-driven design is probably one of the best examples of the last decade. It's basically a concept. Google was a big proponent of this and been pusher of this, that once we had digital interfaces, you could gain massive amounts of insight and feedback by essentially looking at what users were doing. And maybe a real basic version would be something like an A-B test 
you know, where you put up one one version of a design with a green button and then you put up a second version of that design with a blue button and you see which one works better. And so you don't know why the blue one might be working better than the green one, right? And it's not a a design, not a human being being like, oh, we should have blue instead of green. You look at thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of users visiting that page, visiting that screen in an app, and you look at the data about how they react to it and what actions they take. So, and the original, I think, conception of that was that that would help us create better designs, right? You would get all of this feedback and you didn't have to rely on one single human being uh, or their intuition and all of their own personal biases deciding what the best what the best way to, you know, submit a payment was. You you would look at thousands and thousands of data points of users interacting with that thing and then you could optimize it to make make the design better. But I think just like, you know, I think kind of just like what's happened with design in general, there is kind of a dark side of data-driven design where it's not used to create something better for the user. It's used to create things that are better at getting the user to do what the people who created design want them to do. It might not be because the user wants to click the blue button instead of the green button. It's, you know, some kind of psychological manipulation that's at work. Uh, or, you know, if you if you make a, a disclaimer slightly smaller about sales tax, then are more users more likely to buy? Yeah, maybe they are, right? You're like you, you, your metrics will increase, but what you've actually done is something that is kind of against the user's interests. So I think that kind of data-driven design is a, is a good smaller example of what's happened with design in general, that even though there is more work being put into design and more respect for it, that it's also being used to do things that are not necessarily what the user wants. You know, it's, it's used to influence user behavior to increase engagement or to increase sales or to better market to them, uh, increase ad views, you know, or keep people on a platform for longer, right? How much of something like TikTok, uh, this is not to single TikTok out more than any other social media app, but how much of TikTok's design, you know, is meant to keep you scrolling and keep you on the platform rather than doing something that like you want as the end user. That just makes me like curious if, if you do incorporate like some data, I feel like data, like, as you said, can have some really good aspects to it uh, when thinking about design, but then also can be used for kind of like evil (laughs) in quotation marks. So yeah, like if you do use it, how do you kind of balance that? Um, I think having human intervention is kind of the best way. A lot of times I think if you're doing things algorithmically and just collecting data and then turning a knob and being like, if we make this button bigger, are more people going to click it? If we make this ad autoplay, are more people likely to buy it? And I think if you are just purely optimizing around something like conversions, then you will a lot of times end up with, I think, bad design. Even, you know, even if it looks nice, it's bad design because it's not serving the actual user's interests or trying to help them. It's trying to extract something from them in the worst case or manipulate them to to click a button that they don't really want to click or to watch an ad that they didn't really want to watch. Uh, so I think some level of human intervention to basically say, how are we going to use this data? And there's tons of ways of doing that. You know, like to go back to that nutrition counseling company, one of the things that helps us decide what to build into their app was looking at what use at data around what users were doing on their website and what 
they had some tools on their website, portion guides, meal planning guides, right? So we could look at those things and say, okay, how many users are going to the website and downloading the meal planning guide? Well, maybe that's something we should build into the app because it seems like there's a lot of demand among your users for that. That to me is using data to to serve the user's interests. But there are tons of ways where without a human intervening and being like, what is the actual purpose of doing this? What, what insight are we gaining if you're just turning knobs to increase conversions or to increase engagement? A lot of times I think you end up with very anti-user centric design. That makes sense. That reminds me a lot of like SEO because I deal with a lot of the search engine optimization here at Lasso. So like there was kind of a dark period where people were like playing the game of SEO and trying to totally like trick Google into ranking higher. And then that really affected user experience. And now it is kind of like shifting back, but there are still like a lot of <laughs> bad players out there. For sure. Not to call anyone out, but do you have any kind of like examples of that kind of thing? I have a good example. The New York Times did an article about campaign donations. I think this was a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think it was right after 2020. They noted both campaigns did this, but they would do things like when they would send out emails or create landing pages for donors to go to. You might have something where you can pick from different levels of a donation, you know, $50, $100. And then they would have very small, low contrast, hard to see, like disclaimer text or something already checked, you know, a very small checkbox already checked that's like, make this donation recurring. And that might meet the legal requirement, right, of giving the user that option. But, you know, there was intentional, thoughtful design around how to minimize that as much as possible. And I think maybe even have it checked by default. You know, I'm sure a lot of people caught it and noticed, right? But on balance, when you have millions of users, a little thing like that, like making a recurring donation checkbox smaller and pre-checked is going to increase, I don't know, how many recurring donations are you going to, thousands, 100,000 because people don't notice it? And that happened. And there, were, there was a lot of people, you know, who may support have supported the politician they were giving money to, but accidentally, you know, set a recurring donation of $500 to happen every two weeks that they quote unquote agreed to. But really design was used to trick that person to either keep them from being aware of it or to intentionally mislead or manipulate them. So that, that's one good example. But I, there are lots. And I think when you, you know, if you tried to think like a user and you you use a lot of interfaces and you start to be more conscious or more reflective about how the interface is working and what it's communicating, you start to notice a lot of those things. Uh, and there's a term for them called dark patterns. And there's a lot of stuff that are kind of like gray patterns where, you know, you're like, well, yeah, you're showing the user a, a sales pop up saying, hey, get this product. It's like $100 off. And the yes, I want to buy it button is, you know, big and bright and very eye catching. And the decline button is small and put off in the corner and not underlined, you know. So there's those kind of patterns all over, I think, in design. And those are the kind of things that can net you a lot of money in the short term or, you know, a lot more donations or a lot more conversions of customers clicking through. And there's nothing that I think design kind of says about that, right? Like you can use design to do those things. So I think you need essentially human intervention being like, this is shady. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, that reminds me of 
like emails and emails are so valuable in our world today. So like there are so many sites I've gone to where a pop-up comes up and like it won't close unless you give it, e- totally. like, give it your email and like it should have a way to close out. But like there was a site I went to the other day that didn't, I like could not figure out for the life of me how to close that pop-up. Yeah. And then you subscribe and it's really hard to unsubscribe. Yeah, exactly. Like at the bottom of the email, like, like you said, they make things like that. So, so small, you can't even see it. And those kind of things are intentional decisions. I think that those companies make because it serves their business interests rather than, oh, we talk to our users and this is really what they want out of this UI. Yeah. So like we said, like nonprofits really, really need to have good UI because of like donor pages and things like that. And then folks at nonprofits are notorious for wearing many hats. So it is usually people with not a ton of experience that are running their websites. So a lot of our listeners do kind of need to know tips like this, even if it isn't like their clear position, their clear job description. So yeah, if you wouldn't mind like sharing some tips on what to keep in mind when you're designing for your organization or kind of like counteracting those negative changes that you've seen. Sure. I think think if you're a designer, you're involved in like the design pipeline in some way, you may have to be the the voice arguing for design to be used ethically. You know, you you may have to be the voice of the hypothetical user in the room arguing that like no, you know, the close button on the pop-up should be obvious. <laughs> and that's a difficult position to be put in because a lot of times, you know, you're arguing against people who are paying you or you're arguing against kind of your own something that seems like it might be good for your company overall. And I I think there's a lot of incentive to just kind of like keep your mouth shut about those things. So it's difficult, I think, sometimes. But I feel like designers, you, who else is going to advocate for the user if not for the designers? And a lot of that requires you know, thinking about what users actually do want and recognizing that like they don't always care about what you want. There's all kinds of books and stuff about how to think like users and books on usability. Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug is a kind of a famous one. And, and the whole premise of Don't Make Me Think is, you know, that users, they don't want to figure out or interpret things. They don't want subtle cues. They want things to be obvious and easy. And part of that, I think, is also accessibility. I think there's a, a common misconception that accessibility features are therefore not your average user. They're there for special case users, users who have you know disabilities or something. Right? But I think accessibility is for everyone. And I think features that en- enhance that, you know, features that make it easier to read, uh, there are that let you adjust font sizes, you know, colorblind features, alt tags on images. There's a lot of kind of basic accessibility stuff that is built into the web and is built into platforms that just gets ignored because it feels like it's an edge case, but really it's not, you know, everybody eventually has a hard time seeing things or hearing things. So I think thinking about accessibility also is something that is inherently in the user's interest. So when you start thinking about accessibility, I think it just makes your designs better and more usable. And, and if you're if you're a stakeholder, not somebody, you know, actually involved in the design pipeline, the design process, I think it's good to to remember that good design and business interests or your nonprofit financial interests or whatever can align. And that a lot of times companies or nonprofits or whatever need ways of differentiating themselves. And it's surprising how rare good design gets seen as a way to differentiate yourself. But I think it, it, it is a huge differentiator. And I think 
you build a lot of customer loyalty or donor loyalty and respect in the long term, which is good for you when you design a product or a service or just a, you know, any kind of communication material that feels like it's for the user, you know, that they enjoy using it or that they find helpful or educational or they find useful. And having the people you're trying to reach feel that way about you, I think, creates a lot of loyalty. And I think it makes them way more likely to support you or to be a customer or to give you money than something that might be effective in the short term, but is kind of extractive. And so, yeah, and I think the opposite is true, too. You know, if, if the user feels like the people who are behind a design don't care about them or just trying to get them to open their wallet or just trying to extract something from them, that doesn't create I think, loyalty or trust in that organization. It, it feels inherently antagonistic, like this organization is trying to get something from me that or get one over on me or deceive me or manipulate me at worst. So yeah, and I think if you're a stakeholder, sometimes that requires you resisting short-term money-making incentives where you think, okay, if we, if we put the little checkbox for a recurring donation way down at the bottom and it's really small and it's hard to see, like, yeah, you probably will get more recurring donations, but it's a short-term thing that is, is not going to help you in the long run. Or we, at least we hope it doesn't help you in the wrong. So I think sometimes it does, and that's the problem. But um, you know, I think I think there's a lot of space to differentiate yourself from that and be an organization that is not trying to get one over on your on the people you're trying to reach. I think try to try to do good design, try to support good design, accessibility features, and listen to those people. I think within your organization who are advocates for the end user, because a lot of times those people are are right. Spur of the Moment is produced by Lasso Digital, a marketing and fundraising agency with the goal of helping nonprofits raise more funds, spread their vision, and achieve their mission. Our show is directed by Annika Pelkey, edited by Katie Janner, and our music is by Sean Hess. To find more episodes of Spur of the Moment or to find out more about Lasso, check out our website, lassodigital.co. Mm-hmm.